0: And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.
1: This podcast contains discussions of child abuse, sexual repression, and sexual abuse, suicide, racism, misogyny, PTSD, and PTSD symptoms, and spiritual oppression and abuse, including guilt, shame, and fear. In most episodes, we will be mentioning some of these concepts in a general way without any graphic detail. If any of these topics or other triggering topics will be mentioned in great detail, we will let you know at the beginning of each individual episode as well as in the show notes for that episode.
2: Welcome back to the Leaving Eden podcast. And my name is Gabrielle Hacombe and I am here with my co-host.
1: Hi, I'm Sadie Carpenter. And I just wanted to say happy pride. Happy pride, Gabi. Happy pride to all of our listeners.
2: Yes, happy pride to everybody listening to our show because it is now June. June is Pride Month. So we decided that we wanted to do all 100%. LGBTQ themed content for our show for the month of June, because we know that we have so many listeners who are queer people who grew up in the IFB or in a similar group. And it just would not be right if we did not tell these stories. And this has been something that we have been really working towards. And it's something that we want to do properly. So happy pride to all of you.
1: So for this month, we will be bringing you interviews. We will be bringing you homework episodes that we're very excited about And we'll be discussing different aspects each week of the discrimination that the IFB and similar religious groups propagate towards queer people.
2: Yes, uh, because this podcast, the Leaving Eden podcast, is a show about Sadie Carpenter's life in and escape from the IFB cult, Independent Fundamental Baptist cult. So we seek to educate and to inform about the dangers of this cult, other cults, and other high-pressure type groups as a whole, and to promote freedom of mind, freedom of thought, and freedom of religion, and the freedom to love who you love, the freedom to express your gender identity and your sexuality in whatever way is authentic to you, and the freedom to not be persecuted and to be recognized and respected for who you are. Now, Sadie, would you like to, uh, I guess it, it is It is the start of June, and you mentioned that we are having uh, queer-themed homework episodes, so would you like to tell our audience what the first homework episode is going to be, and this is going to be uh, coming out, what, a week from Thursday?
1: Yes. So we each picked a homework episode for the month of June, and we loosened the rules of what we usually do for homework because we each... Wanted to pick our must-see piece of queer media that the other person hadn't seen yet.
2: Well, yours, I wouldn't say that you haven't seen it or haven't consumed it. But it's just like, I mean, it's something that I feel like is ubiquitous. Yeah. So, yeah.
1: Well, okay, so Gavi likes the rules more than me. I do what I want.
2: <laughs> she does what she wants. You know, she picked some stuff for me to, to, to watch. What, what am I going to watch?
1: Well, we all know that I'm a major musical theater nerd and that, You are not, but I absolutely love the show Hedwig and the Angry Inch, and I think it's just one of the absolute must-see musicals for everybody. It should be just required reading, so we are (laughs) going to be watching and reviewing that. Uh, For those who like to follow along when we do homework, we are going to be watching the John Cameron Mitchell movie version because that's what I have on DVD, No Shade Intended to Neil Patrick Harris.
2: I love Neil Patrick Harris. Uh, I have the Neil Patrick Harris
1: headwig on vinyl. So if you want to compare, let me know.
2: You know, it would not be Pride Month if we did not do some musical theater, right? Right. Yeah. So I'm excited because, you know, I looked it up. It says it is uh, it, it, this is a musical about a, it, it's very queer themed in the subject matter. But also what it says is that it is glam rock style heavily inspired by David Bowie, which is awesome because I love glam rock and I love David Bowie. So I feel like I should get a lot of enjoyment out of it.
1: Yeah. Aside from the importance of Hedwig as a musical theater show. I know that a fair bit of your dislike of musical theater is that you're just not a fan of the the typical musical style of musical theater. So I thought this might be something you'd enjoy more than that.
2: Yeah, like my dislike of musical it isn't universal. It really depends on the music itself because, you know, like but I feel like glam rock would lend itself very well to musical theater. So this is something that I am optimistic about enjoying and I am looking forward to consuming. And so we are going to come out with that. Uh, what is today? The seventh or today is the second, but we're coming out with this episode on the seventh. So that one is going to come out on Thursday, June 17th. Is that right? right. That is right. Yeah. Sounds so that epi- right. <laughs> yeah. So that episode is going to come out on Thursday, June 17th. So by the 17th, watch Hedwig and the Angry Inch if you want to follow along along with us. It's going to be good.
1: I certainly will be watching it because I watch it every June anyway. <laughs>
2: As, as you should, I assume. I, I assume it's good. You seem to like it, so I assume oh, yeah. it's going to be pretty good. And,
1: and my husband and I saw Hedwig live in Portland like three weeks before we got married, oh. the summer that we got married, and it was just like a moment. Like a friend of a friend was playing the, the lead role, and it was just like a oh. thing, so it's it's a really special Musical to the two of us.
2: Oh well, that's so sweet. I'm so happy for you. So this is like, oh, okay. So that's yeah, going. Is to, musical, that's gonna going to make like, the episode really even better.
1: Yeah, um, but but we're going to talk about Hedwig in a week and a half, not today. Today we are gonna we're gonna give an overview. Okay. Today we're gonna give an overview of how LGBT people are treated in the IFB and other religious groups and we're also going to read our first couple of listener stories from the wonderful listeners who have been emailing us with their personal yeah. stories for us to share.
2: Yeah, uh, just as a warning for everybody who is listening to this episode, we will be discussing the bible verses you all know the ones that the IFB mm-hmm. yeah, that the IFB and other <sighs> religious groups use to discriminate against queer people and we know that some of you may have religious trauma related to those verses. So when we talk about them, we will try to be as analytical as we can. We will try to deconstruct them as honestly and openly as possible so that we're not just throwing them out there and and trying to bash people with them because we know that's what people do. Uh, So when we do this, we promise that we will do so in a way that will not invalidate anybody or try not to invalidate anybody. And we're going to try to be uplifting.
1: I did want to let people know before we start that I am going to be reading some Bible verses in King James. Uh, I know that's a little extra triggering to some people. It's just – it's what I have memorized. I'm sorry. I just – if I'm going to be quoting, I can't just switch to another translation.
2: Yeah, because this is what the IFB believes. This is like their – Yeah. yeah.
1: But you were (sighs) – what better way to (laughs) –
2: what, so be, what better, better way to start, start Pride out? Month. <laughs> yeah, what better way to to start out with Pride Month than to completely f***ing drag somebody?
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, uh,
2: oh my gosh! Oh
1: my gosh! So we were this. This is a fun story. We were supposed to record this episode yesterday, and we ended up not doing that because Gabby was out doing hot girl.
2: I bought a new car. I did. I used to have a BMW. Now I have an Acura.
1: Well, congratulations. Now I'm a little bit sad you're not giving me rides to work anymore.
2: Yeah, it is sad. Uh, it, it makes cool VTEC noises.
1: Well, I hope you enjoy that, and I hope that car is a, is a good thing for you for a long time.
2: Oh, it'll definitely be more reliable than my old car.
1: That's not saying much. I'm sorry. <laughs> Yeah, no, the I'm thing trying is- not to rag on your old, old car too hard because I know you loved it. But See, also, I am filled with I am filled with rage right now. I'm wearing my angry shirt and I've got a lot to say. But uh, enough, of, enough about that car. What's the other reason that we're recording? We're glad we're recording this today, not yesterday.
2: So yesterday was June 1st. Today is June 2nd. Um, June 1st is the first day of Pride Month. The first day of Pride Month means it's the day when every company ever decides to change their logos to a logo with a rainbow flag in it, just as we did. So no shade at companies who do this. However, if you do this, maybe you should, you, you know, it's it's good to also be uh, doing some sort of actual help to this community rather than not just do it for branding but that also means that a lot of people get very triggered when they see companies changing their social media to rainbow logos
1: the one of the hosts of another xifb podcast who tell them
2: which podcast it is i feel like i don't feel
1: the need to say it because they can just go on our twitter and find out yeah but I assume this is a straight guy, and and he decided that he needed to tell LGBT people how to feel about people changing their logos to rainbow logos, and how he felt that we should all be feeling about this was uh, humiliated. He used the word humiliated, and also pandering. He used pandering a whole bunch. <sighs> yeah. And, and I know that, that some LGBT people are not the biggest fans of corporations changing their logos to rainbows, especially when those corporations seem to think that that is all that needs to be done. Like, oh, look, I did the Pride Month. I changed my, my logo to a rainbow. And I get that. <laughs> but I've which seen is, plenty
2: of memes about that. Some of them were fun. Oh, yeah.
1: Which yeah. is why we decided like we wanted to do the rainbow logo because I thought it was fun. But we were not willing to do that without putting our money where our mouth is, which is why we're donating to the Howard Brown Center and uh, platforming LGBT voices all month and all the other stuff we're doing. Um, but th- this guy just really thought that, just just really wanted to go off yesterday about his straight man opinions on Pride Month, it's and I really was none just, of his. F- Business, You know, I was just not into it. I I was pretty sleep deprived and uh, I was just at the end of my rope and I was hey, not going to have it. So I went off on him on Twitter.
2: Don't be like, don't condition this being like you were sleep. Deprived. I thought that your response was very measured. I would have oh, said no, some just, way meaner shit than you did
1: oh i'm not (laughs) saying that that um that i didn't mean every word that i said i just i'm usually a little bit more non-confrontational a little bit more passive as a person and i get more bold and those inhibitions go out the window when i'm tired so that's what i'm saying
2: which is why our podcast has been so good of late
1: oh that makes sense (laughs) (laughs) but no this is Uh. this is stuff that i would have felt at any time it's just that the uh The the sleep deprivation of new motherhood has got me ready to let it come out of my mouth or my keyboard.
2: (laughs) Anyway, this guy's being a self righteous head, and he's like, it's humiliating, and all these corporations are just pandering to people, and it's so dishonest and it's disingenuous. Um, yeah,
1: (laughs) yeah, and um, so I went on with our Twitter profile, which has a rainbow flag picture,
2: which has a rainbow flag (laughs) picture made by me. I did that in Photoshop. Thank you. Welcome.
1: And, uh, yeah, and I kind of went off on Twitter. And then he had some
2: interesting takes in here. I want to, I want to, there was I'm like a volley of responses. Twitter.
1: And then I woke up to one this morning that was not as fun, but go ahead.
2: <laughs> so, one of them, which he said was because people were somebody, somebody in the audience, somebody was like, yo, so. One of the issues that they're actually people are actually facing is that you know they're treated with discrimination as far as employment, as far as like you know healthcare, and because this guy's like, I would feel really bad, like I would be just as mad if a Christian company was like trying to throw Christian propaganda in my face, the, and somebody gets on there and is like, well, how do you feel about like you know companies like Hobby Lobby trying to keep their employees from getting birth control? And his take on this was, I think. Very enlightening because he's like, well, I think that it should that the benefits should be. I'm a libertarian when it comes to this. And I think that the benefits should be between the company and the employee. And if you don't want to work for a company that won't give you a a birth control on your health care plan, then you just shouldn't work for that company. Like, uh, mm. (sighs) yeah.
1: that That is is enlightening as to how this person thinks
2: yeah so that that was a that was an enlightening take for me i was like okay now i know what kind of guy we're dealing with here that is very ivory tower and does not actually because it's easy to make uh decisions like that based on ideology when you don't actually have to personally deal with the consequences like nobody's trying to take away this dude's access to birth control no company that this guy would ever work for would ever say oh, yeah, you can't have this medical care because we think it's wrong. Nothing that he would ever need would be limited by that. And he's like, well, if I was, then that would be OK, but it won't happen to me. Like,
1: Right. So he's um he's telling people with uteruses how they should feel about their birth control. That's in a reply to the tweet where he tells people who are queer how they should feel about being queer. Yeah. So th- this is just a, this is just a lot like of this guy really really thinking that he can just tell people like how to feel and that i think that was what set me off more than anything else
2: yeah so you get in there and you're like you know he's like well what was he saying he was like saying that pride is a sin or some shit like that i don't know that's yeah so i funny. so i get in
1: there and i'm like oh so i assume that you have also tweeted about how the song proud to be an american is sinful because that's also pride Yeah. And I didn't get a response to that one.
2: No, he wouldn't have. He wouldn't have cared about that.
1: And then, so I got it. So I said, not sure what would be humiliating here. You seem to be implying that being LGBT is something to be ashamed of. And he responds, it's humiliating that corporations try to validate any group of people by pandering to them as if LGBT people aren't confident enough in their own existence without a rainbow logo.
2: Okay. So, like, I think that (laughs) here's what I'm thinking here. I think that this guy assumes that every gay person or every queer person equals the dudes dancing on the pride float. Like that's my, that's my take here is that he's like, okay, there's some, like I I've seen some like greased up dudes with like just super jacked six pack abs, you know, dancing like 99% naked on this pride float, uh, Clearly, yeah, like there's a
1: lot of glitter. There's like fog yeah. and lasers. Yeah, yeah, and, and
2: he's like, clearly <laughs> they're very confident, all of them. Yeah, clearly they're conf
1: because like body confidence is the only kind of confidence. Yeah, right. Okay, yeah. I'm just so I I mean I commented I commented back and this, and this is where it kind of gets dark. So sorry about that to our listeners. Yeah, this guy's
2: a dickhead. I'm I'm not. I'm gonna say that. I will say that. I'm not even gonna bleep dickhead. On the version, you You can hear me call this guy a dickhead.
1: You know what? Go ahead at this point. Like, I feel like I've made my position known and uh, I'm not going to go back on it. No, you shouldn't. So I tweeted back uh, the suicide attempt rate among trans people is nearly 10 times the the national average rate. Which is alarming. But go off about their confidence. Yeah. Um, Which is true and alarming and hopefully something that we can work on. Fixing. Do you want me to
2: read the next one?
1: Yeah, I would. Or would, say, would you like to? Oh, I'm not gonna read it. You go ahead.
2: Okay, I'm going I'm to read. Say, the...
1: I'm not gonna say Trigger those warning. words with my good Christian mouth.
2: Trigger warning. I'm quoting words from a uh, uh, yeasty butthole. Uh, <laughs> 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 uh, let's see. So like... here is his response. That's he's like, um, that's because gender dysphoria is a mental disorder, but still. It takes confidence to rock heels as a man. High heel shoe emoji.
1: <laughs> and then
2: he goes on to say, show me an LGBT person who has actually greatly benefited from Microsoft's rainbow logo. Just one. Yeah. So, like, do, do you want to go first or should I? You could go first because, you, you know. I feel like you got more stake in this than I do. I'm just here, like, being like, this guy is a, a fucking asshole. F*** this guy.
1: So I have been sitting on this for a while, but I'm getting real fed up and frustrated with Christians who will walk the line and never come out and say, I support and affirm LGBT people, or I believe that being LGBT is a sin. Like I have, I'm real fed up with Christians who will not come out and say one or the other. If you feel like you don't know the answer to that question yet, well then stand up for yourself and say, I'm still praying about this. I'm still discerning. I'm still studying scripture. Fucking grow a hair and be honest about where you are on this issue. Because I have more respect for a Christian who says, without hate speech, without hatefulness or being threatening at all, who says, you know what? I do honestly think this is a sin. However, yeah, I don't support (laughs) infringing on anybody's rights or hurting anybody. I have more respect for that person than I do for a middle of the road Christian who will not come out and say what they believe either way, because they feel like they're going to lose half of their audience either way. I I I don't have respect for that. So I guess I have to respect this Twitter guy just a little bit for going full mask off with the transphobia. Yeah. Uh, because I, as s as that is, the, what he said, I would rather him say that than continue to mislead potential queer members of his audience into thinking that he is uncommitted or that he's middle of the road.
2: Let's be real. If you're a, a queer person, you're probably not listening to shit. Oh did it did I just say the oh, name no, of the no, I mean, you accidentally it. did
1: yeah. <laughs> I feel bad for people who come out of the IFB and come out as queer and feel like their options are all of these forms of media that will toe the line on validating LGBT people and not fully do it because they're afraid that they're afraid to make a stand because they want to keep both sides of their audience. Yeah okay, go ahead You're okay so.
2: Yeah, I'm 100 percent with you there where, you know, just but here's I want to go into actually and just take apart what this guy says. So the first thing that he says is that gender dysphoria is a mental disorder. So technically right now, gender dysphoria is technically classified as a mental disorder. However, and this is a big however, what, 50 years ago? Homosexuality was qual was qualified as a mental disorder, right? right.
1: That's, I believe so. That's,
2: yeah, that's true, and illegal
1: um, in England about yeah, and, six years and illegal,
2: ago. Illegal, you know, it was. It was. I mean, I'm not saying that everybody's treating gay people great now, um, but it's a lot better than it used to be. Uh, I think we could say that but it technically used to be qualified like classified as a mental disorder now we know that it isn't and like what is say this is this is a mental disorder what do they say that the treatment for this mental disorder is if you go and look up what is the treatment for this mental disorder the treatment is to basically steer into it right
1: the treatment is to transition yeah. because that's what you need
2: the treatment is to transition so maybe it's not actually a mental disorder maybe it's an actual identity and this is just what you do you know so right there's there's and i am fully confident that in a, that in some amount of years it's not going to be treated as such i mean the the comorbidity of people with quote-unquote gender dysphoria as a mental disorder Uh, which I, I personally do not accept that it actually is it with, with other mental illnesses is very high, not because these people have something wrong with them, but because society is telling them that there is something wrong with them. That is, that is the, the, the takeaway there. And that is why the suicide rate is high, not because there's something wrong with these people. It's because people are, telling these people that there's something wrong with them and people are not accepting them as people. So, uh that being uh, so that being said, I want to go into the second part of this tweet where he says, uh, "Show me an LGBT person who has actually benefited from Microsoft's rainbow logo." So, I'm not going to talk about Microsoft. I'm going to talk about a different company, okay? Okay. Um and the company that I am going to talk about is an automaker. This automaker is called Subaru. You've probably heard of them. They sell a lot of cars. They sell a lot of wagons to people. They're very popular, especially where we live. But this is a this is a 100% true story that in the 1990s, uh, Subaru was trying to, they, they were not where they are today. They did not have the stake in the car market that they have today. And so they were trying to figure out, okay, who's buying our cars? How do we, sell more cars to people who actually likes our cars and they basically they did a uh, uh, extensive market research in the united states and among other groups of people one group of people that they figured out was buying their cars like in outsized numbers was lesbians and this is true they figured out that lesbians were buying subarus more than other cars um and like at a greater rate than, um, than other customer bases and so they were like okay how do we sell more cars to lesbians i know this is this seems very cynical right yeah um so one of the things that they did was they were like what we are going to do is we are going to put in our marketing and this is in the 1990s so they're like we are going to put in our marketing women who are coded as gay so, you know, the women, they would show women driving Subarus in their advertisements. They would show women with flannel, women I was with hair with, with,
1: with flannel, with short hair, with baseball caps.
2: It was the 90s. It was it was not. Yeah. Nineties lesbians. Uh, I guess that that sort of aesthetic.
1: Nineties lesbians. So Axl Rose. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. But like and that's what they would do. And, you know, they would have, um, you know, when they would show the cars and the ads, they would show them with Massachusetts license plates. But Vermont. <laughs> yeah, but here, like, well, because Massachusetts was like the only state where it was legal at the time, I believe, for for gay marriage. And, you know, because oh, right. the title of one of the ads, the copy from one of the ads said, I'm happy to be out with you. And, you know, if it's a Subaru, you're thinking, <gasps> oh, well, yeah, that's outdoors. But, you know, if you're gay, out has a different meaning. Right. That's
1: Yes. And that's a I just think That's adorable.
2: Yes. Yeah. But here's the thing is that the company itself said okay well if we're going to you know do this with our marketing maybe it's not a bad idea for us all to to change our corporate policies so that it's more friendly to gay people so one of the things that they did was they were like what we are going to provide benefits to same-sex partners of our employees so it's not just like, you know how like when you you work somewhere, uh, if you're married, then and you have benefits from your job, those benefits, you know, you also get a benefits package for your spouse. Mm-hmm. They're like, we're also offering that to same sex partners who cannot be legally married. So that like this is one of the things where, you know, yes, maybe it is cynical for them to be like, how do we sell more cars to lesbians? But there were actual people who were benefited from that.
1: Right. Like it it did people good yeah even if the motivation was less than stellar
2: whether like and i'm not saying that oh i i i'm like standing subaru or anything because you know i think standing corporations is a really dumb thing to do but certainly those people were benefited those people who had same sex partners and they worked for subaru even though if there were very few of them you know even if there was just a few of them and they were working for this company and they're like hey you know you can get benefits for your same sex partner now they're like oh okay That still benefited somebody, right?
1: Yeah. I I know that a lot of people in the queer community get frustrated when companies just slap a rainbow logo on stuff and are like, okay, that's it. We did it. We did pride.
2: Yeah. But that's also not-
1: That's totally valid, but that that doesn't mean that it doesn't benefit some people in some way. I, I think personally, I think seeing the rainbows is kind of fun. I like it. Um, I understand the the problematic nature of, like, corporate pride, so I can't say that's something I you know, put 100% of my support behind, but just purely from, like, a visual sense, I like seeing a bunch of rainbows.
2: Yeah, it's not bad to look at. <laughs> I mean, like, if you're f***ing triggered by rainbows, then I don't, like... I don't know what to tell you my guy. Like you need therapy. It's <laughs> <laughs> just like I yeah, so like, I, I
1: just my, I'm a
2: straight guy. I'm triggered by rainbows. I got to go off on Twitter. That's the thing is that this is none of this guy's business. If you have is, enough, yeah. That's like,
1: what got me. And that's what like prompted that Instagram post that I made about this because it's like why 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 do you why are you the arbiter of taste here? Like why are you the person who needs to tell other people what to think?
2: yeah, usually, I'm the arbiter of taste,
1: yeah, <laughs> well, <laughs> no, that's because like, you actually have good taste
2: that's the thing like it would be it would be really, really weird because it's really weird when people just feel like they have they want to go and like make remarks on other communities like intercommunity issues, right mm-hmm. like it would be really fucking weird if I went on and I were like talking about on a podcast where I was talking about like i don't know like colorism in the black community that would be a really fucking weird thing for me to do and deeply inappropriate
1: yeah and and also like i don't you know if, if you feel like there's a jewish issue relating to the ifb that needs to be spoken about on the podcast i tend to kind of let you talk about it
2: that's the sort of thing that's what we kinda here. I don't know, kind of do because this- it's
1: not my and like if there's a, a women's issue on the podcast you give like supplemental information and you help me make my point but you don't take the lead on that discussion right
2: most of my job here is to ask you questions like if i think that you're going to get to if i see sort of an avenue i'm going to ask you about it and try to anyway that's that just kind of that that pissed us off and we had to say something about it
1: yeah i so i'm predicting that this twitter drama is going to continue because like uh, this guy's a,
2: the, the, I need a, I I need really a minute sh- to
1: like yeah and I need a minute before I like try to respond to that kind of transphobia like I need like some extra coffee
2: the thing is I feel like a lot of people in his audience are going to be on his side because he's like because they're just like well, yeah you know men are men that's... women are women like this is some JK Rowling sh-.
1: I mean it is but you <laughs> know what that's fine I just want queer like queer ex IFB people to not have to not feel like there isn't a Hmm. I, I'm getting my, my is and isn't all mixed up because I'm mad. I just want people who are queer and have left the IFB to feel like there is ex-IFB media that can be a home for them. You know what? If, if people don't like what we're doing with Pride Month, uh, that's fine.
2: Don't listen to our show. like That's fine.
1: Yeah. I just want I, the people who need our show to find it and to not feel like their only option is media that is transphobic and misogynistic
2: and crappy yeah, yeah th- th- he just said some nutty stuff okay are we ready to move on to all the stuff that we actually plan to talk about
1: yes i mean what what better way to start pride month though is spilling some hot tea
2: yeah and just Don't saying yeah okay here we go so we were actually this is how we planned to start our episode but you know we had to put some other shit in front of it uh because why not um so what are we gonna do
1: uh, I think we should officially start this episode prob- <laughs> probably we're probably 25 minutes in. Um, I think we should officially start this episode. Let's start with Sam's story okay. because Sam sent some questions for you.
2: Okay. Yes. So, um, yeah, last few months we've been requesting listener stories, and this is one that we got last week. Um, not only was it a good story, but our listener included with it some questions that for me, um, some, some questions that were aimed at me, which really got us thinking about how we actually want to discuss these topics. So do, do you want to read the story? Or should I? Maybe you should read it because the, then you can read the questions to me at the end.
1: Yeah. So I'll read it and then we can get into Sam's questions. Uh, the story is from Sam. Sam uses Sam's name as pronoun. That's easy. Nice and easy to remember. <laughs> My name is Sam, and I like when people don't use pronouns for me. You can use the name Sam for me. I was raised in a Catholic parish influenced by evangelical and charismatic Catholic movements. I fall in love more slowly than most people around me, and I've never had the desire to have sex with a person based on how they look. I do feel the desire to be friends with people who look cool and interesting or who are funny or charming. I fall in love with people whose personalities are attractive to me and who have compatible lifestyles people I feel comfortable around. I rarely have the desire to have a romantic relationship with someone. The circumstances and the person have to be just right. I have never fit comfortably into any definition of what an American woman is. I am grateful that my CCD didn't prioritize married people above single people or people in consecrated life. Singleness wasn't a, a season to struggle through, but a way of being that held its own joys and special gifts. Romantic love wasn't the ultimate love and shouldn't be the focus of everyone's existence. Some people are called to act more strongly on romantic love and some are called to follow their hearts to their friends, God, the earth, or other worthy things. This theological concept has been very useful to me and a lot of times when I feel like something is wrong with me for not having as much romantic love in me as other people, I fall back on this teaching and remember all the other ways that I express God's love as a unique creation. I really do believe that humans have the mission to love ourselves, our fellow humans, and the whole world, and that this is the highest calling of anyone who believes in a God who is love. I have always been fascinated by the sections of the New Testament that mention Christians as a new kind of family that doesn't prioritize marriage, gender division of responsibilities, or sex. The gospel passage where Christ talks about the special insight eunuchs have into God's love is important to me, as is the famous love is patient, love is kind bit of Paul. Sorry, Sadie, I don't memorize Bible verses, lol.
0: <laughs>
1: That's fine, Sam. Uh, when I got to read that passage of Paul as a lecturer, is one of the few times I've had a transcendent religious experience. I was having a hard time understanding my place in the world and felt lifted up, cherished, whole, and full of light as I read about how love can bring us beyond ourselves and our own concerns into a larger humanity where we are cherished because of our, fam- because of our fragility and strangeness. While I was growing up, the Catholic Church was emphasizing the theology of the body, which is the idea that if we are created in the image of God, then we can learn about God by looking at how our bodies are made. This has been used to justify homophobia, because if tab A goes into slot B and that process makes item C, then that must be how it's meant to go. Anyone who has put together IKEA furniture knows that is not the case. (laughs) It's also used to justify transphobia, because if God made my body, I shouldn't change it strangely this philosophy is not applied to people who get laser hair removal or lasik point for sam uh i drove deep, i dove deep into this theology when i was trying to understand my place in god's plan and it has a lot of value for me when it doesn't center the body's society views as default god created us to be tiny vulnerable stinky noisy babies and god created us to get old god created us with physical and mental differences God created us to be the only only species that needs to do a barrel roll in the process of being born. We are a species that is built to need to rely on each other from birth to death. God didn't create gender roles or stairs or classrooms where you have to sit down and shut up for two hours. But God did create humans who don't vibe with those things. And who are we to question the will of God? I feel so blessed to know things about God that cardinals and bishops won't know until they start listening to queer and trans people as sources of theological wisdom. Beautiful. Wow. Just just beautifully written. That
2: was that's a great letter. That's a great letter. I really like that we got to start off with that one because it's just gonna set the tone where we're we're not just going to go straight into trauma, 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 trauma. We're gonna try yeah. to be empowering with this.
1: Right. And like people have trauma. We're sharing those stories. They're totally valid. But I thought this one was just so beautifully written to start up to start off with.
2: Yes. Th- Sam, thank you for sending us this letter. We really appreciate it. We so Sam
1: uh, finishes up with some questions. Sam says, "I wonder if Gabe would be willing to answer these questions queer people of faith get, which I have thoughtfully adapted for him." Okay. So you want to you want to start with uh, start with those questions?
2: Sam so if you are listening to this episode uh we really appreciate that you sent these questions is because in because it makes me think about what kinds of like generic ass questions queer and queer religious people get asked in situations like these and so to me like cuz we've got interviews coming up right and so it's mm-hmm. making me like huh am i listening to the same am, am i asking all of these same questions to people in interviews because i don't know that they're like You know, I ask these questions, they're like, uh, you know, (laughs) but like it actually gave us stuff to think about and actually gave us stuff like about what we want our content for this month to be. And you actually helped us make our show better. Yeah. Thank you.
1: Yeah. Thank you, Sam. I think it's really valuable to hear these kind of questions turned around on a cis straight man, (laughs) because typically people don't ask you to validate your existence or give a theological explanation for your life. But those are things that queer people get asked every day.
2: Yeah, I was I'm, I was really excited this email because a I love talking about myself uh, first and foremost. B uh, flipping this on its head is the kind of like subversion that Sadie and I both really enjoy. And C it actually made us think about this stuff. So let's so, go.
1: Yeah, let's jump into these questions. Yes. All right. Number one, how do you know that you're straight?
2: Okay, so I've never actually. It's sort of like I've never considered the idea that I could be anything else. Not like that I didn't know it was a possibility or that it exists, but like it just has never not made sense to me.
1: I did want to chime in on this question as the bisexual half of this show. I have a pretty similar experience to you because I literally I can't comprehend not being attracted to more than one gender. Like I try to think of what it would be like to only like to only be attracted to one gender gender or presentation of people. And I just can't, it blows my mind. <laughs>
2: well, I mean, I can comprehend being attracted to men, but I know that that's not for me. Yeah. See,
1: I, I respect and understand that a lot of people are only attracted to like masculine people or men or feminine people or women. I just, I really can't get my head around what that would be like. Anyway, moving on to the next question. When did you realize that you were straight?
2: So I can give you a day, a month and a year for this one.
1: That's highly specific.
2: Yes. The day was May 18th, 2002. I was nine years old. In fact, it was my ninth birthday party for which we went to see the greatest cinematic masterpiece of all time. Star Wars Episode II, Attack of the Clones. (laughs) (laughs)
1: So when you started this story, I was like 90% sure it was going to involve Natalie Portman, and now I am 100% sure that it is
2: (laughs) Have you seen this film?
1: I have been in the room while all the Star Wars films that there are were playing I think we did it in early quarantine, but I wasn't paying attention to most of them So like, I've technically been in the room when this movie was on, but I don't think I've seen it
2: So... Um, for about like two thirds of the way through the movie, there's a scene in which Anakin Skywalker, Obi Wan Kenobi, and uh, uh, Senator Padme Amidala, who is played by Natalie Portman, are going to be executed in a giant arena that looks like the Roman Colosseum. Padme is wearing this like white jumpsuit, and sh- but like she's been so like serving like top tier looks the entire movie just like crazy 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 fashion like some met gala and she's got to like fight this giant purple cat with a rat tail so she climbs up this pillar and then like the cat climbs up after her and like uses his claw to rip open the midriff of padme's jumpsuit um and i'll tell you like padme never missed ab day at the gym and that's how I know I was straight. Like it was just like I, I was watching this movie. I'm like, this movie is very interesting. And I'm okay. not sure why.
1: But, but I mean, I get that you <laughs> but I get that you felt attracted to a woman like that one time. But what are you gonna do if you're being straight is just a phase, and then like later in life you turn out like, you know, normal like everybody else. <laughs>
2: I don't know. Is that a thing that people usually prepare for?
1: It's a question that queer people get all the time. <laughs> the, so <laughs> that's the, the implication, rude. yeah, it is. The implication is that like it's going to be embarrassing for you when you have to uncome out, like when you end up normal, like the rest of us.
2: Uh, that's insulting.
1: It, it is okay. So here's your next question, though. Uh, isn't it hard for you being straight in the Jewish community in Portland? You must feel so lonely. I hear the straight community is really small there.
2: I feel like the Jewish community in Portland is smaller than the queer community in Portland. So.
1: Well, how do your parents feel about you being straight? How did you tell your friends and family after you first realized you were straight? Did it change your relationship with your friends and family when you told them that you were straight? Uh, when you meet a new friend, at what point do you tell them about being straight? Cause I don't know if you ever came out as straight to me. Did you
2: i think that you just assumed uh because of heteronormativity
1: i don't think i assumed
2: that's true you don't assume you're you're above that
1: yeah and also you're fashionable
2: i'm fashion that's true like
1: i feel like i don't think i assumed that you were i think i thought like oh probably like 75 percent likely but maybe not because okay, you have like a shoe thing you have like very fancy shoes i do um, so, yeah. But they're
2: straight guy. But they, like at the time when we met, they were straight guy fancy shoes. They're basketball shoes.
1: Okay. Yeah. You also have gold platform boots, though.
2: That's actually true, though. That's, that's, um,
1: so, fair. so I feel like assuming your sexuality by your footwear is not really, um, might not be totally accurate with you. But, uh, do you really think the straight lifestyle glorifies God, though? Ah. <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> What do you think God thinks about straight people?
2: Yeah, so I can see how all these questions are really intrusive and insulting to people.
1: Yeah, I I can tell these questions like they feel really uncomfortable and they put you on the spot a lot. And the purpose of this wasn't to torture you as an effigy for all straight men or for all religious people. But I think that turning it around on you, that it really shows that these are awful questions to ask. They're so intrusive. It's like, explain yourself and your existence so I can decide if I like you or not. Um, Mm. and, And it's also like thinking that queer people owe you something. Like, they owe you an explanation for literally everything in their lives and these incredibly personal questions that you can just, like, ask. Well, I think it's pretty obvious that the IFB and other religious groups have a lot to say about queer people. I grew up myself hearing a lot of sermons about the homosexuals and how they are ruining our culture. I think I started to understand what being LGBT was around the time I was 10 or so. Around that time, there was a lot of buzz about being politically correct for the first time. I was hearing preachers at conferences and camp meetings preach about how Uh, In a few years, a pastor who says homosexuality is a sin is going to be put in jail for hate speech. So I was I feel I remember feeling anxious about that and and hearing about, oh, they're going to put you in jail for hate speech. But at that age, all I had ever really heard about was gay men. And I wasn't aware until much later that women could be queer, women could be lesbians. And I definitely was not aware of bisexual people at all.
2: Yeah. So here's one more thing that I wanted to throw in there, because this reminds me of a conversation that when your dad was visiting that we had, when we were talking to him about all of the stuff that we were planning on doing. One of the words that we kept using was queer because, you know, that's just the word that people use now. It's not a it's 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 not a derogatory word unless you're using it as a derogatory word. But one of the things that he was saying was that he had a lot of difficulty using that word because of how often it would be used in a derogatory manner
1: because in, in his lifetime, that's been mostly a negative word and he's, he has a hard time breaking the association of that being a word that's used to hurt people.
2: Yeah. Now it's just like a a sort of catch all. I feel like, right. So it's it's
1: meant to be like, like a catch all to, to include everybody who doesn't, you know, everybody, especially people who don't see themselves represented directly in the, the LGBT. T.
2: Yeah. Anyway, so this story that you were talking about, uh, when you're starting to realize these things, I don't know. That was just a thought that I had on the top of my head. Which, but, yeah, but this is like, what, 2003, 2004?
1: Yeah, so it's around the time that inclusive language was just starting to hit mainstream. Uh, around the same time as I'm starting to become aware of these issues more, a town near me held a funeral for the N-word as kind of like a ceremonial farewell to using racial slurs in everyday language uh it it was it was put on by the black community in that town they had like a ceremony to like we're gonna we're gonna put this word to bed like using this as a slur we're not gonna do that anymore
2: it was also like during the end of the r word campaign do you remember that
1: yeah yeah it was like toward i would say it was towards the end of that because i remember that being a bad word starting when we were like what, seven or eight, six or seven.
2: I remember end the R word was a thing that people were talking about when I was in middle school. So this is around I that time, yeah.
1: I don't remember a campaign about it. I just know that it went from not being a bad word to being a bad word. Huh. When, as as I was a kid. Um, which is which is a great thing. Like hopefully hopefully my kid just never hears it. Like I think in ten more years, like when my kid's coming up on middle school. Maybe people just won't use it anymore. Wouldn't that be fantastic? Yeah, um,
2: that'd be great.
1: I mean, if there, if there are like several slurs that she just never uses because she just doesn't like know more than I. I, I would have never used the N word because that was a slur, and we knew better than to ever use that. By the time I was a child, and hopefully that will just continue to my kid. That 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 inspires me to think like, oh, there are words that I know of that are used to hurt people that she may just never learn.
2: Well, here's one of the, here's one of the things that I was also thinking about with regards to this is that when I was in middle school, I mean, the F slur, that got thrown around all the time. That got pointed yeah. at me a lot because, you know, I wasn't like a,
1: <laughs> well, I heard it in the IFB all the time. So. Oh yeah.
2: I'm sure the I'm sure you would, but I heard it all the time and I grew up in a a, a I grew up in Portland, Oregon, and but like, you know, middle school dudes are, are trying to be, I don't know not uh, they're they're heads especially but they would use that all the time and it was really hurtful and they would use it towards you know any dude who wasn't like i mean one time i was wearing a pair of shorts that didn't go below my knees and this dude was like oh it's you know f you're such you know f slur your shorts don't go below your knees or something like that you know that was shorts
1: above the knees even look better. That guy has no taste. It was
2: the it was the mid 2000s Sadie. Do you know what fashion was like during that time?
1: No, I wasn't a cult during that time.
2: That's true. It was a wasteland. It, think of like you you ever see a picture of Adam Sandler walking down the street today? Yes. That's what was cool in two thousand five.
1: Oh. Okay. Yeah. Thank you for anyway. letting me know. So I'm so around the same time though. Uh, I'm I'm hearing all about this like persecution and how the ACLU was a bunch of liberal demon possessed people who want to put you in jail if you say that being gay is a sin. So that that's kind of like what I was hearing growing up before I really learned much at all.
2: Yeah. So do you want to uh, do you mind if I contrast this with a story from my childhood?
1: Sure. So so I'm hearing like oh they're going to put you in jail for hate speech. What are you kind of hearing about queer people? i coming thinking of, you know, pre-middle school.
2: Yeah. So, and this is something, this is an experience that I want to give my parents a lot of credit for. So when I was probably in about first or second grade, the Boy Scouts came recruiting at my school and I thought that they looked really cool because they had uniforms and badges and patches. Um, I liked going on camping trips. And so I asked my dad to take me to a recruiting meeting and like half the boys from my class went. I think it was, like, in the afternoon or the evening. Uh, But, like, half of the boys or most of the boys from my class went. And, of course, I wanted to join because, you know, it seemed like this, you know, this cool club. And so on the way home from – and they gave me, like, a a, a little patch or something. They're like, yeah, this is the first thing that you've gone to. This is your first patch. And I'm just like, oh, wow. So on the way home from the meeting, my dad's driving. uh, And he says to me, so do you know what the controversy around the Boy Scouts is? And I didn't know. And he says to me, so, you know, your friend Jonah from your class, you know how he doesn't have a mom and a dad, but he has two moms instead. And I said, yeah. And he says, so they think that that is wrong and that if your friend Jonah wanted to join, then they wouldn't let him. Do you think that that's fair? And of course, I said, no, of course, that's not fair. And he says, so do you want to join a club that is going to exclude people like that? And I said, no. And so instead of doing that, and this is a true story, instead of doing that, he and, like, the other dads um, of the other boys that were in my class tried to start our own, like, scout troop-type organization, which fizzled very quickly. But still, I, like, I I guess this is, like, emblematic of the major gulf between our upbringings. But that that was my experience, sort of learning what, like, gay people were.
1: So, but you knew about jonah and jonah's moms before that so it sounds like there wasn't really a time when like you were you don't really remember like a moment of some people are straight and some people are not like it was it was just all that was always kind of just a part of your memory like yeah it's just how it is
2: like i mean i you know it was like i went over i didn't know what sex was i didn't know how that worked it was like seven eight You know, so like I go over to I go, I went over to a boy's house after school and he has two moms and he says, I have two moms. I don't have a dad to me. I'm seven. I'm like, okay, that makes sense. Whatever.
1: That's that's another thing. Like I hope for for my kid, I hope it's just like that that it's that reaction of just like, okay, whatever.
2: Don't even pay it a second thought, you know, like, and this is something I really do want to give my parents credit for this one, because I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that my dad. So my dad was a doctor for 30 years and he went to medical school at UCSF, which is the um, the medical school that's associated with uh, UC Berkeley. Um, but it's UCSF. It's in San Francisco. And he was in medical school there in San Francisco during the early 1980s, which was the absolute worst of the worst of the AIDS epidemic it was the absolute epicenter and so it would be like some uh, some otherwise healthy 25 year old man would come in to this teaching hospital and they would tell him you've got six weeks to live and it was horrifying and i like i i think you know that among other things that probably affected him but like the way that gay people were just not cared for and treated as pariah while they were dying if you know your history before it was hiv before it was aids it was it was called grid you know about that
1: yeah uh, it was called gay grid. related immunodeficiency yeah right? so
2: he was he was there like you know mm. Do like it at this teaching hospital in San Francisco while this thing was still called grid. And he like he told me this one story about this 15 year old boy who had broken his arm and had a blood transfusion. And he came into the hospital at, with like a bad cough. They told they told this 15 year old kid he had six weeks to live. And, you know, like all of this stuff that was, all of this stuff that was happening, it was like it was terrifying. It was absolutely terrifying and he you know, and he was looking at this from like a medical perspective, and I really think that you know the the way that w- he looked at like the way that these people were treated, the way that they were treated as pariah by society while they were dying that's there is there there is something very wrong with that,
1: yeah, I would think that any doctor who takes a Hippocratic oath seriously and who takes their profession seriously. Just couldn't help being deeply affected by that kind of thing. I, I have a really big problem with doctors who don't take LGBT health care seriously, from HIV care to trans health care. Um, medical professional, medical professionals should be able to treat anyone with care and respect. Or like, don't be a medical professional. Yeah, that's a really big pet peeve, pet peeve I mean, of mine.
2: That's a that that's a given. Yeah,
1: but what's what's crazy is like I was hearing the same blood transfusion stories from a totally different perspective, because thanks to conspiracy peddlers like Jack Chick and other evil people, I was hearing stories like the gay men are purposely giving blood so that their disease will be in the blood bank so they can affect others.
2: That's f- uh, yeah.
1: yes, like that's that's wrong, false.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's horrific. I Like I mean. Thank God that people who are, you know, HIV positive can now live normal lifespans.
1: Yes, absolutely.
2: They figured that out. I mean it's I'm sure it's not totally easy, but you know, it's
1: <laughs> But like we're, we're we're making progress and that's a wonderful thing. Um also my little it's pet not cause not six
2: weeks to live anymore.
1: Geez. Right. Yeah. No, it can be it can be years, it could be decades. Also, my little pet cause that I like to rep when I can, uh, and the gay blood ban. Yeah. So like and Uh, gay men are currently, if you don't know this, um, gay men and men who have sex with men are currently, uh, under very strict restrictions on when they can and cannot donate blood in the United States. Uh, this is, this comes from many years ago when they were not able to quickly and effectively test for HIV in donated blood. When I donate blood, which I do fairly often, they check my blood for HIV. It's not an issue to do that test now. Uh, there's no reason other than discrimination for men who have sex with men to continue to be banned from giving blood. That's it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, sorry. That's just like I'm. I, I donating blood is like a, a big cause for. That's something that I really support, and this is something that's important to me.
2: Well, this is the if you're gonna make that stand, now is the time to do it. Now is the definitely appro- there's a, it's always an appropriate time to do that, but now is the
1: the first time I ever got the guts to say something like somewhat pro-gay people on Facebook was about that.
2: Oh wow. So it was that's before a-
1: it was I was out of the IFB, like in my heart, but I wasn't publicly out yet on fa- like people on Facebook did not know that I had left the IFB. Um they didn't How'd
2: that go over?
1: You know, it went over pretty well, actually. Um really? a lot of people kind of ignored it, but the people the people who I knew who agreed with that were were really excited to see me start posting some, you know, I think that was that was a lot of people's first indication that I was getting out of the IFB. Wow. So that well, that's was nice. So it's that's kind of been like my my cause for a while. So, uh back to the story coming into my teenage years, I knew that there was such thing as lesbians. And what I was hearing about queer people primarily was that they are either people who have tried every other sin and they're bored of all the other sins <laughs> and the only sin they haven't <laughs> tried yet is being gay. It's like when you get bored of doing other sins, this is what you do. Apparently. Um, yeah. Or uh, the other option is that these are people who were sexually abused as children and they're broken and they're acting out that brokenness by being gay.
2: Hmm. No. That's significantly less yeah. amusing.
1: No, it is. Maybe I should have flipped phones. I don't know. Yeah. Um. So as a teenager... I knew that I hadn't been sexually abused. So that couldn't be. And I knew that I did like boys. And I knew that I was trying not to sin. And I had not tried all the other sins. So I just thought to myself, great, cool. I know I'm not gay. Thank goodness those preachers aren't screaming about me. Mm. Um, Because I was like, oh, well, okay. Well, I don't check any of the criteria for being gay. Therefore, I cannot be gay. Cool. And I 100% believe that this was like, my psyche trying to protect me. Because I don't know how I didn't realize that like not every girl gets major crushes on like all their friends. I think my my brain was just trying to protect me from the awfulness of the IFB in some in some way. But I was hearing bad things being said about queer people. And I think some kind of self preservation instinct just kicked in. Because we've heard over the last few weeks from listeners who talk about how terrible it was to know that you weren't straight and to hear preachers preaching and to think, Oh yeah, they're talking about me. I feel very, very lucky that that maybe my psyche or something protected me from that for, uh, for, for the first few years.
2: Yeah. So you're relatively, because even though they were talking about you, they did, you didn't know that they were talking about you at the time.
1: <laughs> yeah. And there are several places in my story at large that I typically just say, I lucked out there, there are just there are things that I had happened to me in the IFB and coming out that were difficult and and things that I had to face that were very, very hard. But there are a couple areas where I just it just was not nearly as bad as it could have been. Um, and this is one of those areas, because I don't know how well I would have held up under years of hearing preachers preach about the evils of being gay if I knew in my heart that they were talking about me like that experience did happen to me many years later and it was awful even years down the road
2: but at the time you didn't understand that you were like trying to be best friends with the prettiest girls for any other reason than just that you're like oh this is a nice and fun person to hang out with
1: yeah and and getting like super butthurt if a girl didn't want to be my friend and like getting butterflies hanging out with said friends and feeling like I should, uh, I should offer to buy her coffee, or I should get her a present, because she's my friend. <laughs> because that's what friends do. <laughs> um, anyway, I finally caught on and started to question this stuff towards the end of my time at Hiles Anderson. And I could not tell you exactly when this was or where I was when it happened, but one day I heard or read the word bisexual – And it was like, it was like a light bulb moment. It was like all at once was like the complete understanding of like, oh my God, that's me. Oh no. (laughs) So I had been questioning for a while before the Scott scandal, um, not about myself so much, but about, you know, do I really think that, that being gay is a sin and just thinking that things didn't add up to me and, and looking for answers and not really finding them. Uh, But I know I didn't figure out anything about myself until after the Scott scandal, because August of 2012 is really the tipping point for me between I have a lot of issues with the IFB, but overall it's good. And uh, then after that point, it was I don't know where I'm going to end up, but it's not going to be IFB. I went back to HAC for the 2012-2013 school year but my heart was really not in it. I was more doing it because I was afraid of the Jericho plan, but that's a story for another time. Mm. By the time I had a word, like any kind of definition for my identity, I was not out of the IFB, but I was definitely on the road out. And it turned out for me that the IFB's views towards queer people were one of the several big things that helped me get out. Because like I've told you, I was told my whole life that LGBT people are either sexually abused or they've tried every single sin and they still want to be more sinful. And I'm telling you, the moment I saw a definition of bisexual, I immediately, like a flash of lightning, knew that was me. But I also knew like all the reasons I had been trying to justify like, oh, well, I can't possibly be gay for years because I knew I hadn't been abused. I knew I wasn't trying to be sinful. I knew I hadn't gotten bored of all the other sins. So like all the the things that I had been told just didn't add up all of a sudden. So it was a big part of me coming out of the IFB.
2: Yeah. So you're hearing this doctrine that you know is false because your own lived experience. And by this, the cracks, you already started to form. So you're thinking, well, what else aren't they telling me?
1: Or what else yeah, are they teaching so me that's wrong? I had a feeling that a lot of things were wrong. But this was the first time, this was something that I knew for myself, something that I had proof inside myself that this just didn't add up. Like I was at Hiles Anderson. I was truly trying to be like the best little IFBer I could be. I was truly trying to not sin in any way. And I was putting myself through extreme measures, really trying to be a, a good person. But I knew in my heart that I did like women. So over time, I just had to come to the conclusion that God made me bisexual because that was the only conclusion that was left for me I, I could not believe that God would make me on purpose to have some great sin in my life and I just I couldn't understand how loving someone could be sinful so just having this this cognitive dissonance of well this is what I've been told but my experience does not match what I'm being told that, I had doubts about so many other things before this, but this one made a lot of those other dominoes come crashing down because I had to face the idea for the first time that lots of things that I was being told about God and sin might not be correct.
2: Yeah. So uh, I want to take this time to get into specifically what the IFB is teaching about queer people. You mentioned earlier that they said that gay people were either abused as kids or, or that they are bored of all of the other sins so they turn to homosexuality.
1: Yeah, so I've got a I got several there there are seven. Yeah, so we're going to we're going to jump into some Bible verses.
2: So these are verses from the Bible that have over the centuries been used to persecute gay people.
1: There are seven texts that are commonly used against gay people and uh, I want to just go through them.
2: Okay, so let's do that. Uh, what verses are we looking at here? By the way, all of the people who are listening to this, this is the part that we talked about earlier. Yeah, yeah. just
1: like FYI.
2: If you don't want to listen to this, skip till like five minutes till the end of the episode, and then we'll probably be done with it.
1: So I want to start out with this one with one verse that we've already discussed in great detail, because I think we can kind of clear it out of the way first. And that's Genesis 9, 20 through 27, which describes the story of Ham and Noah, the curse of Ham, which we've talked about like four times. For those joining us, Noah took his wife, his three sons, Ham, Shem, and Japheth, and each son's wife on the ark, and those eight people were the only ones saved from the great flood. After the flood, when the ark landed, Noah planted a vineyard and made wine. One day, he got too drunk on the wine he made, and he passed out in his tent. The KJV account of this is... And he drank of the wine and was drunken, and he was uncovered within his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father, and told his two brethren without. And Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid it upon both their shoulders, and went backward and covered the nakedness of their father. And their faces were backward, and they saw not their father's nakedness. And Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his younger son had done to him. Uh, This phrase, uncovered his nakedness, is used throughout the book of Leviticus when the rules against incest are laid out. So most people take this to insu- to assume that Ham committed some kind of sexual act with his father. Mm. It's not clear. It, it's really it's really never clear exactly what happened. Um, but that's what people take it to mean. Uh, of course, we know the rest of the story. Ham is cursed because of what he did. And white Christians were told for many years that black people were the descendants of Ham and that that makes slavery okay because they're cursed.
2: Say that we are, we're, are, are taking this as a, he actually did perform some sexual act, right, mm-hmm. um, which is not 100% nailed on. That really seems to me like it's about either incest or performing a sexual act on somebody who is incapacitated.
1: Yeah, like that seems obvious to me because this passage is in no way describing a consensual relationship or a consensual encounter Like This is discussing incest and sexual assault, which has nothing to do with the genders of the people involved.
2: Okay, so if I were to play devil's advocate here, what I would do is I would bring up a different story from the book of Genesis in which Lot is asleep, and he has two daughters who have sex with him while he is sleeping, and both of whom get pregnant and bear children.
1: Yes, and Lot's daughters, I believe, became the mothers of Moab and Amnon, And aren't the tribes of, like, the Moabites and the Ammonites, like, both villains in the rest of the story?
2: Yes, that's that's actually true. So this is something – this is actually something that happens a lot in, like, Genesis in these books is where somebody will do something bad, they will be cursed because of it. And then somebody else will do the same thing later and it's sort of, like, implied that the – it's the same on both of them. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. The Moabites and the uh, and the Amnonites portrayed as savages, aren't they?
1: Yeah, like like um, hedonistic. Because Ruth is yeah. a Moabite, I think. I'm pretty sure Ruth is a Moabite. I think
2: so. They're, they're like hedonistic. They're like idol worshippers. Uh, yeah, yeah, idol
1: worshippers for sure. Yeah, Pagans. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. I, yeah, Ruth is Ruth is Moabite. Anyway, um, this is the same crime. Like Lot's daughters committed the same crime as Noah's son did. Like the crime is sexual assault. Spoiler alert! I do not believe that consenting sex with someone of the same gender is a sin, uh, but I do believe that sexual assault is a sin. I know this is probably real surprising to y'all.
2: Yeah. So according to the Book of Genesis, if you rape your father while he is sleeping, all of your descendants will be savages, which is good to know.
1: Yeah, you know uh, <laughs> the the story of Lot's daughters it wasn't as focused on in my IFB experience, but when it came up, it's not like they were treated kindly. Like it was presented as a, as a great sin
2: that they had done. There is a lot of incest in the book of Genesis. Like, yeah, that's true. And it seems like a lot of incest
1: and Mm. like breaking the, the specific mosaic laws on incest are, is considered a crime, but both of these two examples that we've talked about so far, like consent is the main issue. And then that makes a lot more sense to me than this being about queer people. But let's get into the next verse. Um, This one's actually a set of verses. So Leviticus 18, 22 and Leviticus 20, 13. They're, they're the same. Leviticus 18 and Leviticus 20. List the same rules in different words, so it's like the same verse in two different places, just different wording. But Leviticus eighteen twenty two, it's the well known verse that reads, "Thou shalt not lie with mankind as with womankind; it is abomination."
2: Okay, so this is the big one, right?
1: Yeah, this is one of so,
2: them. This is the big. This is the one that people always go to because, at least the way that we that that it, that's translated, the way that we read that in English, that seems pretty cut and dry. Right? Yeah,
1: yeah, and especially because it uses the word abomination, which is a word that people really like to throw around. There is an alternate realm of thought about this verse, and it's very interesting.
2: Let's talk about that.
1: Okay. The word that is translated as mankind in the King James, uh, other versions translated as a man, that word in Hebrew means male the denotation is male. The connotation is young man. Um, so the word that is used in Hebrew for mankind in Leviticus 18, whatever it is, Leviticus 18, 22, has a strong connotation of meaning a younger man, like a teenage or preteen boy.
2: I am not a, a, a Bible scholar, uh, so I cannot say whether this is true or not. But this is what this is what Sadie is telling me. Yeah, and
1: um, the word she has done research into this. I've done pretty extensive research. The word that is translated "womankind" in Leviticus eighteen twenty two, uh, translated as "a woman" in other translations, uh, that word has a strong connotation of wife. So the denotation is woman, but the connotation is wife. Okay. The word that's translated as mankind does not denote adulthood, while the the word that is translated as womankind definitely and exclusively means an adult grown woman and the connotation is wife. So modern scholars tend to think that this verse is referring to pederasty, which was an ancient tradition of an older man having like a mentorship type relationship with a young teenager preteen boy who he would sexually abuse.
2: And this was common in like ancient Greece. This was right. very this is, common, this in, this ancient common in
1: ancient Greece. This is common in ancient Greece, but there are examples of it going back to the time that the Old Testament would have been written. Um, this is especially something that would have been done in societies that the ancient Jewish people would have seen as heathen. And this this verse also comes in a a package with verses about like not worshiping the local idols when you pass through somebody else's – territory like don't worship other people's idols and and like so this would have been a worship practice so i think it's perfectly logical to think that the prohibition here is not about consenting adult sex but that the prohibition is against ritual sexual abuse which seems like something that if I were God, I'd be a lot more concerned with preventing that than preventing like two consenting people from doing what they want. and And I've spoken before about like moving away from biblical literalism in my own life. and this is sadiology, not theology, but just using the logic that God gave me, it makes so much more sense that a that sexually assaulting a minor would be an abomination more than two adults just doing their thing. Yeah. That's just my own logic speaking through. Like, I don't have scriptural backup for that part of this. But, like, between those two things, one of them seems like something that I would want to prohibit if I was God, and one doesn't.
2: Yeah. So I don't want to say uh, 100% sure, like, whether your interpretation is right or wrong. Because I've heard interpretations from rabbis who have described this passage as being related to sexual rituals performed by the Canaanites.
1: Yeah. And, like, that makes – that just makes more sense with – the rest of the entire Old Testament, if you've read it, the, the yeah. commandments there are very concerned with don't participate in other people's religious rituals.
2: Yeah, and so this would make sense because the previous verse, as it relates to, uh, is th- that's right before this one, um, relates to banning blood sacrifice of children, which was practiced by the Ammonites. So, Reform and Conservative Judaism both... Are explicitly welcoming of gay people, and these doctrines are established on an institutional level. I figured I should say that. So, mm-hmm. and and those are are two mainstream uh, forms of Judaism that are popular in the United States. So this isn't th- these this isn't like a a a, a, a off the wall lefty like
1: no not at all. Weird and
2: interpretation.
1: I, I don't want to just like claim that my Bible translation is correct. And is the only, like my Bible interpretation is the only correct thing because like I came out of the IFB. I think that I, what I, what I do believe is that my, my interpretation of this scripture is just as valid as someone else's interpretation. I can't force somebody else to believe what I believe, but I am strongly convinced that my interpretation here is uh, valid. I'll, I'll admit that this Leviticus one, though, it is ambiguous. Personally, though, I think it's talking about a consent problem. And I think this is backed up if you look at the one other Old Testament passage that is used to condemn gay people, which, of course, is the infamous Sodom and Gomorrah passage in Genesis chapter 19. In this story, God is going to destroy the city of Sodom because of sin. But Abraham's nephew, Lot, lives in that city and Abraham prays to God that he will give his nephew a chance to get out. The men of the city, so so God sends angels to Lot's house to warn him that God's going to judge the city and he needs to leave. The men of the city swarm Lot's house and they tell him to send out the angels because they want to have sex with them. Lot offers up his virgin daughters instead, but the men of the city say no, they want the angels. And people take this to mean that the men of the city were gay men and that the sin of Sodom was homosexuality.
2: So I was under the impression that the story of Sodom and Gomorrah was a story about hospitality and that God destroyed the city and saved Lot because they were mistreating strangers, not because they were all gay. So say you were to tell the story say you were to make the angels uh, 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 that were sent to warn Lot instead of being disguised as men they were disguised as women would that change the story Mm -mm. would that make the story not make sense no would that i mean that wouldn't make it somehow better like this is absurd because having a mob of people surround somebody's house demanding that they send out their guests so that they can have sex with them is definitely a condemnable thing to do no matter what the person, the the gender of the person they're chanting for is.
1: Right. Like yeah, for one, right? the specific sin, like God had every chance in scripture to name the specific sin of Sodom and Gomorrah and uh, God didn't name it. The only reason to think that their specific sin would be homosexuality would be that they were saying to send the angels out. For two Clearly, not all the men of Sodom were gay because Lot had two other daughters who were married with children. So it doesn't make sense to say that everybody in the city was gay. That doesn't track. Um, Number three, this is not a being gay issue. This is a consent issue. Like the Ham and Noah story is a story about consent problems. The Sodom and Gomorrah story is a story about consent problems. The men called for the angels to be sent out so that they could rape them. And again, I believe that rape is a sin, no matter who's doing it to who. Like, that's a sin. That's an actual sin, because that hurts somebody. I think that this story and the ham story, when you take these together, they're both consent issues. So if there are three passages in the Old Testament that are used to specifically condemn same-sex relationships – And two of them are crystal clear about consent and lack of consent. And the other one is ambiguously maybe about lack of consent. I think that that paints a picture (laughs) of what this is actually supposed to mean. None of these specific examples depict a consensual relationship. And I think that's really telling.
2: Yeah, so the other lesson of this story... That I thought that I always got from it was that you cannot condemn an entire group of people as wicked be- just because that's how things appear on the outside. Because if I recall correctly, this is a story in which Abraham argues with God to show mercy mm-hmm. on the town. What?
1: Yeah, that's correct.
2: Yes. Abraham argues with God to show mercy on the town because he believed that he could find somebody righteous within who was worthy of protecting and any excess death of people who have not done anything wrong would be an injustice.
1: Yep. That's correct. Abraham actually goes to God multiple times over multiple days to try to convince him to protect the city.
2: Yes. But here is one more thing that I want to talk about. Uh, And this is putting all Jewish interpretations aside. But if I am Christian saying, I say I were Christian, aren't, all of these Leviticus laws rendered obsolete by the doctrine of substitution anyway.
1: So not all of them. This is this is something I've been meaning to get into. Christians believe that there are three categories of Jewish law. And uh, let me know if you have heard the same thing. So there's moral law, civil law, and ceremonial law. Moral law is stuff like the Ten Commandments. Don't kill, don't steal, don't lie. Uh, civil law is like... The law is like about governing a country. Like if your ox falls in a hole on the Sabbath, what do you do about that? Do you, can you get it out or do you have to wait till the next day? Civil laws like the eye for an eye, like the punishments for different crimes and the thing about drinking the dust off the temple floor if a woman is suspected of oh, adultery. Gosh. That's civil law. That's like how they governed themselves as a people. And then ceremonial law is like the stuff that the people of Israel were supposed to do to set themselves apart unto God. So like having tassels on your garments, not mixing linen and wool, like the specific layers of the tabernacle, like this layer is made out of sheepskin dyed red and the next layer is made out of skin dyed blue. That stuff is ceremonial, like the priest garments, the bread sacrifices, the meat sacrifices, that's ceremonial law. Christians believe that Jesus did away with the civil and the ceremonial laws. So we don't have to worry about the Sabbath, we don't have to put tassels on our garments, we don't have to make bread sacrifices or meat sacrifices, and we don't have to drink the dust off the floor if we're suspected of adultery. But what we're supposed to still follow is the moral law. Don't kill, don't steal, don't lie, do all of the all of the moral prohibitions. The really big problem is sorting out what like most Christians believe that this is almost universal among christians the issue is sorting out what is the moral law like tattoos so some christians believe that the verse prohibiting tattoos is civil law it was just the governing of the people of israel during the tabernacle period and the temple period um so some people think oh that's just civil law christians don't have to worry about it some people believe it's moral law and then other people like me, I believe that it specifically prohibits like that verse isn't about tattoos at all. Really, it's about self-harm and it's about tattoos that are meant to bring out incantations in honor of another false god. So like your live, laugh, love tattoo is totally fine. And it literally doesn't matter if it's civil law or moral law because that's not what the commandment was talking about to begin with.
2: I would absolutely like to say that a live, laugh, love tattoo is never fine. But You
1: know, you're going you're gonna to make somebody mad with one of these takes one day.
2: Okay, well... <laughs> Um, that's just my opinion. That's not the official opinion of the show. I think that a live, la- live, you know, laugh, love, anything is low-key pretty tacky.
1: My shirt says, F- the Westboro Baptist Church. Is that tacky?
2: No, that's okay. uh, poignant.
1: <laughs> it's like one of the only like text shirts that I have. That's not a band shirt.
2: <laughs> but anyway, uh, people tend to make moral judgments about other people. This, this is the thing uh, coming right off of that. <laughs> People tend to make moral judgments about other people based on their appearance, regardless. Yeah. Well, I see, I wasn't making a moral judgment. I was making a taste judgment. There's a difference there, Okay. okay? But people tend to make moral judgments about other people based on their appearance, regardless of what kind of person they are, anyway. So this is nothing new.
1: Yeah. I just, I tend to think that two out of the three Old Testament verses that are used to condemn gay people, like two out of the three are very clearly talking about non consent. So interpreting that third verse in the context of the first two, I think it's fair to say that, that these are talking about yeah. consent problems, not who you have sex with problems. So should we take up the offering and then come back and talk about some more verses, including the New Testament verses and what we think of them? Yeah. That was giant Chuck Burp.
2: Yeah, let's do that.
1: Spring is
0: my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank.
1: If this is your first time listening to the Leaving Eden podcast, make sure you go back and check out episode one, where we start the whole story. You might also want to check out our cult true crime series, The First Family of Fundamentalism. If you like the show, you can support us by joining our Patreon, where we have extended and uncensored episodes available. You can also join in the discussion in our Facebook group, Eden Exodus. Tell a friend, tell a family member, tell your worst enemy. (laughs) The Leaving Eden podcast is a fully independent podcast, and we really do appreciate your support. Now, back to the show. So we're back, and before the break, we were talking all about the Old Testament verses that are used to discriminate against queer people, and as we learned, there are multiple other interpretations, and these verses are tenuous at best. I I don't feel 100% confident saying there's no way in the world that these verses are about being gay. But I do feel confident saying that I don't believe that they are. And I believe that there are alternate explanations that make just as much sense as the typical interpretation of those verses.
2: Yeah. uh, So actually, because we were talking about Old Testament verses, there's one more that I want to bring up. And it's the one that's... um men shall not wear that which, is that the one that I'm thinking about, right? Yeah, you're thinking
1: of uh, Deuteronomy 22.5, which says that a woman shouldn't wear that which pertaineth unto a man.
2: Okay, so what's the take on that?
1: So that verse is the verse that's used by IFB people to mean that women shouldn't wear pants uh, because they take the meaning that to be that Pants are a male-coated garment and that women shouldn't wear male-coated garments and that men shouldn't wear female-coated garments, uh, and that would prohibit—specifically, they use it to prohibit women wearing pants. Um, some stricter people will go as far as fabrics, like men shouldn't wear lace, women should avoid denim. It's not common in the IFB, but I've heard it. There is, a, there is an alternate explanation for Deuteronomy twenty two five. Okay, uh, let's hear it. So, Deuteronomy 22.5 is in a passage that is all about priesthood and religions of the tribes are in the area at the time. And it, it talks about idolatry, it talks about not being deceitful, not being mistaken for somebody who follows a religion of the people around you. And the alternate explanation for Deuteronomy 22.5 is is that it's telling people not to wear priestly garments if you're not a priest. So don't the don't the alternate explanation is don't impersonate a priest, which that I makes think is sense. yeah, which I think is is really interesting. Um so in in modern times people have quit using Deuteronomy three five to prohibit women wearing pants and they've turned right around and used it to prohibit being transgender, which I just I don't think that's the correct take number one because trans women are women and trans men are men uh there so they go. wouldn't be wearing that which pertaining unto a man because they are a man or they are a woman um
2: yeah well you're not you, you don't believe that if you uh are
1: <laughs> of course yeah of course if, if you're, you're
2: hosting a different uh xifb <laughs> podcast um, <laughs> then
1: apparently you don't then, believe that
2: I, are we naming them no we're not
1: then naming them. apparently you haven't deconstructed from your old cult beliefs that far i don't yeah, think yeah you haven't
2: been deprogrammed entirely you're still in the ifb in your mind even if you think that you're not
1: yeah sorry um, buddy sorry not sorry not sorry um but this this the alternate explanation for deuteronomy 22 5 is that um the is don't impersonate a priest which i think is a, a i think that's like that makes sense because people use it they call they say it's about Quote unquote, cross dressing. That, that's not prohibited anywhere else in scripture. And most of the commandments that we have that are really important are communicated multiple times in scripture. It, and it's weird to me that that one wouldn't come up anywhere else, but that this verse would be like the main focus. And also, why would you feel the need to abide by Deuteronomy 22 5 if you? Uh, don't have a house. If you have a house and it doesn't have a parapet around the roof, which is commanded in verse eight of Deuteronomy chapter twenty-two. If you don't sow your vineyard with two types of seed, which is commanded in verse nine. If you wear wool and linen mixed, which is commanded in verse eleven, and if you don't have tassels on your clothes, which is commanded in verse twelve.
2: So this verse, uh, your drag brunch is not against the Bible.
1: I just i I don't <laughs> think it is, and and like also in the IFB. It's not uncommon for men who are on the skit crew to dress in drag. Like some of the most famous youth conference skits involve drag.
2: Yeah, What if you're in a youth conference skit, you're dressing in drag for the you're like, oh, no, I actually like this. This that, is fun.
1: See, I feel like I feel like I, that I, would take some deconstructing.
2: I'm sure that's happened. I'm 100 percent sure that that's happened oh, and I, I, every I, year, I, every year at the youth conference. The same the same person is uh, is is dressing in drag. It's like, oh, and are
1: we going to do that one skit? That's my, yeah, favorite.
2: that's my favorite skit. It's so much fun. <laughs> well, buddy, you might have some thinking to do. You might be in for an awakening.
1: They don't even follow this verse. They just use it against women and against trans people. And and I feel like, so like I said a a minute ago, I don't feel like I am enough of a Bible scholar to put my foot down and just say, well, my interpretation is right and yours is wrong. And I don't know if that's just trauma from the IFB, like making me like, I don't want to say, oh, I'm right and you're wrong because that reminds me of the IFB too much. I don't know if that's internalized misogyny, like making not wanting to make myself out to be an expert because I don't believe in myself as a woman. Like I don't know what makes me so hesitant to like put my foot down and say, like, no, I'm right and you're wrong. But what I do feel a hundred percent confident in saying is that I truly believe that these alternate interpretations of these scriptures are just as valid and just as likely to be true as the interpretations that are used to bash queer people. And and I, I feel I don't, I don't feel that I'm sinning by believing differently. I don't. And that's a little bit hard to say, but I just wanted to share it. Like, that's my truth.
2: Yeah. And my main takeaway from this is that if somebody walked up to me and they were like, you know, the Bible says that being gay is a sin, and then I would be like, uh, that's debatable. That's true. It absolutely. That's that's the thing is that if somebody walks of up this to you a 100%
1: clear. You be like that's
2: that's are you sure? I feel like that's I feel like that's debatable. That's that's my takeaway from this is that you don't have to know 100% but they cuz they don't know 100% you right. they like, might think they know 100%. But
1: they don't. Like that's my that's my takeaway too. It's like well I cannot sh- take you to a bible verse that says Go be as gay as you want. Being gay is awesome, but I also do not believe that these Bible verses one hundred are one hundred percent clear that they condemn being gay or being trans. And I know from my own personal lived experience, I believe that I have been led to a belief that God made me personally to be bisexual, and. So so taking my lived experience with the slight ambiguity of these bible verses I've come to what I believe.
2: And so you're not out here about to repent for your sin of bisexuality.
1: Not going to happen.
2: So let's get on to these uh these New Testament verses. Cuz these are these are the ones that I'm just going to entirely discount 100%. Uh, which, what's me.
1: interesting is like these are the ones that like look on the surface look more clear uh than the Old Testament ones. So we're going to jump in. We're going to start with Romans chapter one. This is a really common passage that's used against queer people. This is the one where the whole tried all the other sins and want to do something worse thing comes from. So Paul, who I know you're the biggest fan of.
2: Yeah, he seems uh, (laughs) like a great guy. Definitely not a murderer.
1: So Paul is talking about a group of people who knew God but turned to idolatry anyway. And Paul lists off this long list of sins that this group of people who knew God but have turned away from God into idolatry is engaging in. So the verses in question kind of come closer to, the, closer to the end of this um, passage, and they say – it's Romans 1, twenty-eight six through 27. They say uh, – here's a quote. For this cause God gave them up unto vile affections, for even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature – and likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly. And then uh, down, down, down the passage in the next verse, it says that God gave them up to a reprobate mind. So being given up to a reprobate mind, that's what we were told will happen if you ignore God for long enough. So basically, God will try and try and try to get you to follow him. But if you don't, then he will eventually give up on you.
2: So basically, if you do gay shit for long enough, then God gives up on you.
1: No, if you do bad shit for long enough, God gives up on you and lets you become gay.
2: Oh, that's way worse.
1: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so modern scholars modern scholars think that this verse, this passage may be referring to child abuse uh, or to the ISIS cult in Rome. I personally think it's referring to potentially the ISIS cult or potentially to pederasty, um, the, the same practice of... Uh, older men having a quote-unquote mentorship relationship with young boys and sexually abusing them. Because we know that that was very common in the Roman culture, and this is the beginning to the Book of Romans, which was written to Christians in Rome.
2: Yeah, so like we were saying before with the Leviticus verses, the description of homosexuality uh, is strongly tied with pagan idolatry. That is, you know, it's that it's part of some ritual. Because, you know, when we look at it, like, what are the sins that are, like, more... Like worse than all of the, like, if you look at the 10 commandments, what does God say first? God doesn't say don't kill people first. God says, I am God, no idolatry.
1: Yeah. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt make unto thyself no graven image.
2: And then eventually he, 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 and then it's honor your father. Eventually he gets around to.
1: Adultery and covetousness. Yeah. Don't
2: kill people. (laughs) Yeah. But like first he's like, no idolatry. Yeah, that's wrong. Don't do that. That That's the worst.
1: Right. Like, how many times does God describe himself as a jealous God? Like, that is over and over and over throughout Scripture. Yeah. Like, I like God wants to be put first and, and the whole it's the whole idea of monotheism, which is which wasn't like a thing.
2: Yeah, At so that time if, in
1: history.
2: you know what, though, I feel like if you literally create the universe, then you earn the right to, you know, be first on the call sheet. Yeah,
1: you know what I'm saying? It, like, I get it. Yeah, I, like, I get it. Um, what have I done?
2: Oh, I've literally created the universe and you're off fucking fire. God of the Canaanites. I don't know. Like,
1: like made you made the universe. But, like, fine, you just go hang out with a fish god over there.
2: Yeah, this is like a Beyonce song coming on.
1: <laughs> I know. It, it is. Yeah. Uh, oh, man, describing God as Beyonce, that is the gayest thing that we've done. On, <laughs> for Pride <laughs> so far. <laughs> um, so this verse, uh, I think you're – so in the English, it definitely looks like it's condemning homosexuality. This is the whole thing. Like, if you're King James only, then you believe – that the King James is perfect, literally one hundred percent perfect. So you would just take the King James at its word and say, "Oh yeah, that's condemning homosexuality," and then you just run on that assumption. When you go into the Greek, the bad news is that it it can look like like the Greek can be translated as condemning homosexuality. It can also be translated, though, to talk about to talk about um, child abuse, pederasty, and ritual. Uh, like ritual sexual abuse, ritual. So like the kind of things that, um, what's that cult that was out in Oregon?
2: The Rajnishis.
1: Yeah, it's the kind of stuff that they used to do, pressuring people into ritual sex. Personally, um, when I read the phrase, I'm going back up to the verse. When I use the phrase, when I read the phrase, um, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men working that which is unseemly, uh, what I get out of that is the connotation of also not just casual sex, but like sex that dishonors your partner. Like, think Barney Stenson style hookup culture, where you are blatantly using other people for your own desires. Like, those people aren't even human people to you. They're completely dehumanized. They're just another number, to, just another notch in the bedpost. The phrase burned with lust one towards another, to me, that sounds like pervasive hookup culture. To the extent that it disregards the humanity of people and sees them as conquests, not human beings, because I do think I, that I think that's a sin, like treating other people like they dehumanizing other people and treating them like they don't matter. Like I don't think you should use other people like that. So, so that's that's what I get out of that phrase. Burned with lust, one towards another. Uh, that's another sadiology, not theology, bit, but that's personally what I see in that verse.
2: We all know from personal experience that the idea that gay people are gay because they're jaded to regular sinning and they need a more hardcore sinning experience. This is utterly insane to the point that it would be low key hilarious if it was not a point of view that were actually used to inflict harm on people. So once again, the IFB has to interpret this verse in the strangest and weirdest possible way. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, just like I also don't see like my husband has a friend who is a is a gay man. He has a husband. The two of them have been together for many years. They have a lovely house. They are good people. They're good citizens. Uh one of them works for an, I I think both of them work full time for nonprofits, actually, now that I think about it. I know at least one of them does. They run a charity. They are active in their community. They have people over to their house to, like, feed people in their community. I, ju- I don't see how their lives fit this Romans 1 description. Like, the only thing is that they're both men. And, like, nothing else in that passage remotely applies to them.
2: No, it really doesn't fit at all, does it?
1: So the other two New Testament verses that are used to be used to say that being gay is a sin are similar to Romans 1. They are both in long lists of sins from Paul. So, one is in 1 Corinthians 6 and one is in 1 Timothy 1. And they are both really similar to this verse in Romans. It's a list of activities that Paul considers immoral. Interestingly, one of those two references is tied with idolatry, like in Romans. And yeah, the other, yeah, and the other reference is tied with, uh, quote, whoremongers and men stealers. so kidnappers. <laughs> homosexuality was specifically stigmatized in some particular and specific ways at the time of Paul's writing. And Paul is echoing those specific stigmas. Here's the thought. Christians believe that the Bible was inspired by God, but was the Bible verbally inspired? Like, did God speak every single word in God's own parlance and God's vocabulary? And then had the scripture writers write it down word for word, believing that it was inspired And that, like, God said exactly what he wanted to say, and then, like, the writers, like, wrote exactly what God said? Or did the writers write it down in their own words? This is definitely going to get me strung up for heresy, but I've already, like, who cares at this point? If God wanted it in his words with no human intervention or misinterpretation, would he have used humans to write it down? How do we account for the fact that different books of the Bible have different writing styles? I don't know. Just saying.
2: So, I think that was a really salient point. One thing that I've noticed through all of these is that even in all of these cases, it's only ever the only thing that's referenced is male homosexuality. So is there anything about lesbians in the Bible?
1: It's literally just that one verse in Romans one about leaving the natural use.
2: I feel like leaving the natural use is not a very nice way to describe women.
1: No, <laughs> but
2: I suppose that seeing women as like an appliance is definitely in line with the IFB. So that makes perfect sense to them. But to me, like, what is the natural use of women? That's like a bizarre.
1: Yeah, like it, it, yeah. it is like a little bit of a weird thing to say. Um, yeah. Don't have a defined opinion on like what I think this verse means. I don't think it's about reproduction, but I think it's more likely that than about being gay.
2: Yeah, but I mean, we all know. Here's the thing. Is that we all know that queer people exist now and they have always existed, right? Yeah. Yeah. So it seems insane to me that if they were really seen as pariah or hated or commanded against, then they would show up in these stories as uh, as like villains, right? Or as people who are being punished for their crimes or as immoral people like as characters. Yeah. Doesn't that make sense? Yeah,
1: that makes so much sense.
2: Because like like we were saying, you know, with the curse of Ham, with uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, these aren't like the, the characters in these stories aren't gay because Noah's son Ham also had a wife. Yeah, so he's and not, descendants. Yeah. And dis- like, it's it's not like you're making this like gay people are the villains in all of these stories. It's not like, you know, oh, the, the Canaanites or the Ammonites they're all gay. Right. So That's, it's not
1: like like how they queer code Disney villains.
2: <laughs> yeah, or they Jewish code Disney villains. Yep. Yep. <laughs>
1: yeah, like it, it's not like that. It's it's just that people have interpreted it to mean that and there's good reason to think that some Bible translations were translated in a way to support an anti-queer reading of the Bible which I think is sad because I don't think Bible translations should be translated to support anything, which is why, why I'd like to announce that I'm just going to be making my own translation because I don't trust anybody's anymore.
2: You know what I think we should do? We should make our own Bible translation um, and we will take the original Hebrew and Aramaic and Greek and just run it straight up through Google Translate, no editing. Yes. And okay. okay so we do this and from now on this is the only valid bible translation that we will use and And then we'll build a
1: cult around it
2: we'll build a cult what should we name our bible translation
1: um the let's see what about the the new international king stephen anderson google translate gay bible version
2: Yes, Stephen Anderson's gay Bible version.
1: The King Stephen Anderson, yeah.
2: King Stephen Anderson's gay Bible translation. Um that P's sitting down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, but like that that's the thing is that um I think what it is saying is that like there is enough conflicting evidence in all of these specific cases that we are pointing to to at least raise the question, right? right that's the, that's the thing is that you can't like there's interpretation that people but can you say do you know for sure
1: right like i would do love really for, i would for sure? love for the Are bible sure? to just be like being gay is awesome god made gay people go be as gay as you want just be nice to other people while you're doing it like i would love for there to be a bible verse that says that like yeah. i would love to, for there to be that but there like there isn't but i also just i i feel like you shouldn't just go say, oh, the Bible says that, that gay people are wrong, because I just don't feel like that's a, a full picture of what's given to us in no. Scripture.
2: I mean, I have, I have a final takeaway here. Do you yes, want to hear absolutely. it? absolutely. So uh, in, this, in this episode, uh, one of the phrases that we keep hearing is that a verse is, uh, air quotes, used against uh-huh. people. And I think that that is antithetical to what this is all about. And I know that queer people have been treated terribly by religious uh, people, religious groups all throughout history who have absolutely used scripture verses against them as a weapon, as a tool to hurt and to maim and to control people. And to the core of my being, I believe this to be wrong. Uh, this is not a book that is meant to be used against people it is not a weapon it has commandments it has stories it has history and so what are we supposed to do we are supposed to read it we are supposed to take lessons from it but it is not a cudgel the commandments are not there for you to browbeat people into submission We talk on this show a lot about the difference between a religion and a cult. And one of the differences is that a cult will create an in-group, out-group dynamic. And they will turn people outside of that in-group into the enemy and dehumanize them in order to keep people on the inside from interacting with them and in order to keep them isolated and easier control. And one thing that I know... Is that you cannot love somebody while you are also trying to control them?
1: Yeah, I, I'm sorry. I just loved that so much. I didn't know what to say for a minute there. This is this is this is why. Like, if somebody does believe that being LGBT is a sin, I'm not going to try real hard to change their mind because I, it, you know, I think that person is incorrect because I have a different belief. But I don't really care what people think. I think the bigger problem is people who want to control other people's behavior. Because, like, if you think that this is a sin, then don't do that sin. And you know, I, I, you know, continue, continue reading, continue studying, maybe think about some of the things that we've said on this episode. But you know, whatever, believe what you want. I have a problem with people who want to control others based on this extremely unclear part of scripture. And, of course, I have a problem with people like Steven Anderson who literally want to stone people over this.
2: Yeah, I mean, what but, like, what can you say to these people, right? Like, yeah. you could say, oh, we're all – like, you say – oh, we're all sinners, but Jesus has saved me. Right. If somebody tells you that it's a sin, you're like, oh, yeah, well, we're all sinners and Jesus has saved me. What are they going to say to that? I don't
1: run into people who are jerks about this too often. Um, When I do, I just I just say that I truly believe in my heart that God made me the way I am. And I don't believe that God makes mistakes.
2: And if you're feeling especially Southern and spiteful, you can throw in a bless your heart.
1: Yeah, I I don't like to see people use the Bible to bash other people because like like you said, it's not for that. I don't believe that anyone on earth has the absolute correct, perfect interpretation of every part of the Bible. I think that all of us are going to find out in the end that we had something messed up somewhere. I think most of us have quite a bit wrong. And I know, I know that I'm going to, you know, if I if I die and I end up in my, you know, a heaven that is similar to what I imagine it to be like, I know for sure that I'm going to find out that I was wrong about some stuff. That is that is inescapable. And if this is what I have wrong, like, I'll, hey, I'll take the L. Like, I, I don't think I'm wrong about this. I don't. But if I am, you know what? I'd rather be too loving and too accepting and get corrected for that. Than being not loving enough or not accepting enough.
2: I am with you one hundred percent. So, do you want to end this episode by reading another listener story?
1: Yeah, sure. Let's do that. Do you want to read this one?
2: Sure, I will read this one. So, this is a from a listener named Ashley. Um, let's hope she is not the same Ashley as from the chick comic. Oh Karen.
1: no, it's Jello Ashley. <laughs> Jello, Jello Ashley, Ashley shares no, her story. No.
2: This is a different. This is a different Ashley uh, who uses uh, she/her pronouns. So, um, I, let me read this. This. So, just a trigger warning for all of our listeners. Uh, this story does mention childhood sexual assault, abuse, and suicide. Thank you for doing a Pride Month. I think often people forget that just because the LGBTQ community has more acceptance than it did several years ago, we are still fighting for acceptance in many, many different ways. Obviously, I am so grateful for Sadie's words and sharing how she got out of a cult, but I would also like to thank Gabrielle. Oh, you're welcome, because his outside perspective and input has helped me unbrainwash myself as well. My story is a story for those in the LGBTQ community who weren't as aware of their sexuality. I was fortunate that I didn't fight my feelings as a teen, that I didn't have to hide my sexuality in a closet of shame. But this doesn't mean that it didn't leave me undamaged. I spent about 7th grade through age 19 in a fundamentalist cult. I didn't know I was gay until I was in my 20s, but the cult shaped me in such a way that I wasn't even allowed to question my sexuality. I was taught that you are born liking men. Liking women was zero of an option. I went through all of the motions. I did suffer sexual abuse as a child twice in the cult. I want to make very firm here that this did not turn me gay. I am not afraid of men. I did marry a man at age 20 and had a child with him. I allowed the cycle of abuse to continue until one day I didn't. And then I left him. I realized that I had always been gay growing up. I was fascinated by beautiful women. I loved extremely beautiful feminine things. I thought that this was just my nature. But I realize now that what I was feeling was my feelings of attraction even as a teen. I was so suppressed that I thought that it was just me genuinely liking feminine things and not, hey, I have a crush. After I left my husband, I started hanging out with a good friend of mine. I admired her for her strength, her fire, and her beauty. The thing was, though, she felt the same admiration. And pretty soon, I realized that this was actual attraction and love and feelings. We are now happily married to each other and living our best lesbian life. I had courted two men before this. One was a really great guy, but I just couldn't go through with it, and I didn't know why. But I know now that it was because I didn't want to be with men. I eventually married a man because I thought I had to. That was what God set up for me, and I was miserable. He was terrible to me. The fundamentalist cults are dangerous because they silence the fire that we as women have inside of us. They literally blow it out. I was a Stepford wife, shell of a human. I now live to my fullest. The colors around me are brighter. My hope for the future is there. I feel safe. I feel like I am where I belong. It's so important to get this out there. We all have a little fire in us. And it doesn't always fit to our prototypes that others make for us. So my story may not be dramatic scary, but it's important because I was living life in an autopilot. I only did what I thought the church thought I should do. It wasn't me. And at one point I was even suicidal because there was something inside of me screaming, let me out. And I wouldn't let it. Keep doing what y'all are doing. Happy Pride Month. (sighs) Well, Ashley, I just want to say, Keep doing what you are doing. Happy Pride Month to you. I teared up a little bit when I was reading your story. So thank you for sending it. Thank you so
1: much, Ashley, for sharing your story. Uh, There are a lot of things here that that mirror mine, specifically uh, not figuring out her sexuality until later in life. I think that's really common among IFB people. And we will get into that a little bit more in our next regular episode in two weeks after our interview episode next week. I did want to emphasize her point. Um, Sexual assault does not turn you gay. Um, That's a myth. Scientifically disproven. Scientifically disproven. I truly believe that sexuality and gender are innate to who a person is and they're unchangeable. And the only thing to do is love and accept people for who they are.
2: 100%. I am absolutely with you, but they're not fixed either.
1: No, not, no, That's no, no, thing. not yeah. at all. It's just like like who you are is who you are and trying to impose something different than who a person knows themselves to be is going to be a bad time for everybody involved. It's not going to change anything.
2: Yeah. Ashley, I loved your story. I love hearing stories. You know, if there's if there's a dark start to the story where it's really tough on somebody, I like knowing that there is a happy ending and I'm glad that there is a happy ending and that you are out there living your best life. And that's, that's wonderful. And I'm so happy for you.
1: All right. Well, we went from, uh, drama to Bible verses and stories. And I think we, I oh, think we can yeah. everything in this episode that we can.
2: We thought this was going to be a shorter episode. It was not.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well. Yeah. Um,
2: so yeah, that, that's, that's kind of how that goes. Um, So we are, uh, what do we have going next
1: week? Uh, Next week, we have an interview that I'm so excited about. We are going to be airing our conversation with Evan Jones, who is a LGBT advocate. Um, Just fantastic guy with so many uh, great insights. We are, we're really excited about that interview. And that'll be airing uh, Monday next week, so June 14th
2: absolutely that's really exciting we've all we've actually already recorded the interview at the time that we're recording this and we're telling you guys it's a really 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 good interview it's going to be a lot of fun yeah he's
1: yeah he's really funny we had a great time talking to him we did so we think y'all are going to enjoy that
2: um and then later next week we're also going to do the hedwig and the angry inch uh, uh, Homework episode. So that'll be super fun. Yeah. If you want to
1: we'll be moving right along with June.
2: Yeah. So uh, I'm trying to think if there's anything else that we need to say before we go. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, so if you like our show, if you want to support our show, you can go to patreoncom dot slash leaving Eden podcast. Uh, all of the Patreon money that we are collecting in June is going to the Howard Brown Health Center in Chicago, Illinois, which provides healthcare to the LGBTQ community, uh, which is great, excellent thing to do, especially because there is such a healthcare disparity with that community and they are not treated as properly as they should be. We, uh, if you like our show and you want to interact with other fans more, you can join our Facebook group, which is Facebook.com/slash Eden Exodus. We get a lot of people talking in there, and we get a lot of these stories. You know. People post, you know, if you like the stories from from Ashley and uh, from Sam, a lot of people will just post their similar stories to that in the Facebook group. And a lot of them are really, really inspiring. So people post those there. People also, you know, just share memes, say stuff.
1: Sometimes I just go off on rants.
2: (laughs) Yeah, that's true. We did. uh, If you liked our rant about Twitter earlier in the episode, there's more extended content relating to that in our Facebook group. Yeah. uh, You want to follow our social media? You can follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Leaving Eden, uh, Facebook and Instagram at Leaving Eden Podcast. Twitter, it is at Leaving Eden Pod. If you want to send us an email, it is Leaving Eden Pod at gmail.com. Sadie, do you want to share your social media?
1: Yes, you can follow me on Twitter at Hell Yes Sadie. You can follow me on Instagram at Sadie Carpenter Music. You can follow me on TikTok at Sadie Carpenter One. Uh, and also on TikTok, I would recommend that you check out the following accounts who speak about the Bible and LGBT people and to help understand a lot of the things that I talked about in the episode today. Uh, I've got four accounts for you. The first one is at Queer Lady Church. They are, oh, they are so good. It's a a couple that run that account and they are both just like so amazing. At Good Shepherd ABQ, Albuquerque, at Good Shepherd ABQ is a pastor who is wonderful at pastor underscore G and also at rev.lizzie. That's R-E-V dot L-I-Z-Z-I-E. Uh, those four tiktok accounts have been really helpful in preparing for this episode they're all amazing totally suggest you check them out
2: and so you can follow me on social media at facebook instagram twitter and clubhouse at g-a-v-r-i-e-l-h-a-c-o-h-e-n ah man this has been a good episode good stuff we talked about a lot of important stuff um that we really needed to say and we'll see you guys next week hope you have a nice day bye-bye No.